This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. So Emotions, Let's Not Be Deceived is the title of this series, and it couldn't be a better time for me to be teaching this than right now during these days. Now, specifically, this message is on fear and our emotions. We've established the fact that man is created in God's image. We're made in such a way that he can live inside of us, and God has inspired and given us his word, and we are to always make sure that our emotions are always subservient to the word of God and to the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have different kinds of emotions. We have the emotion of anger, depression, anxiety, and loneliness. We're looking at fear today. All these emotions, if we're not careful, can carry us along instead of being carried along by the Holy Spirit of God and by the Word of God. So the Word of God and the Spirit of God always has to trump the emotions. Now, the emotions are not bad, but let's not be deceived by emotions. Amen? It's something that we have to purpose in our heart to do. Now, the Christian life cannot be lived. It just cannot be done. Just like walking on the water. You cannot walk on the water. It's just humanly impossible. It can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't live the Christian life. The Christian life is lived out through you as you abide in the one who lives in you. And as long as we look away from every object to Jesus only is the only time we can experience the supernatural life that he gives us. But the minute we become occupied with other things, circumstances in our personal lives, in our church life, or maybe where you work, because there's a lot of struggles where people work, struggles in our nation politically, wherever we get our focus on the circumstances, we will begin to sink. And so, Matthew chapter 14, we're going to be looking at uh, when Jesus walked across the water to the disciples and when Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus, we're going to be looking at that. But just prior to that, Jesus had taken some loaves of bread, five loaves of bread and two fish. And what did he do? He multiplied it and he fed 5,000 people with this small amount of food. And so this miracle that he had given, the, the crowds were astounded. And that's what they liked. They liked excitement. They liked to see something that amazed them. And so this miracle also gave his disciples confidence. It gave them confidence that they were following a person, Jesus, who could do exactly what he said he could do, that he could provide abundantly for everything that they needed. And so now they're just about to learn not only can he sustain them physically as far as nourishment, but Jesus can also protect them in circumstances that we'll see that were very much against them. And so look, if you will, at uh, verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Now, he sent them across to the other side, a place called Bethsaida, which is a suburb of uh, Capernaum. It's in the northern part uh, of the Sea of Galilee, and they were going to go uh, up that way. 
And he said, I want you to go up this way. And he said, I'm going to send these crowds away. Now, can you imagine Jesus by himself? His disciples are getting in the boat and going away. Can you imagine? He's going to send 5,000 people away. Now, that is a miracle in itself, especially uh, the miracle they had just witnessed. And so the question is, this, why would Jesus send this crowd away? Why would he ask them to move along? Uh, John tells us in his account of this, he tells us that Jesus perceived that they would take him by force and make him their king. In other words, this crowd, they were saying, this is the prophet that Moses told us about. And they're thinking, we're going to make him king. But see, they had a materialistic view of the kingdom. It was a selfish view. And they were excited about that. They were thinking that he's going to usher in our kingdom and he's going to make us rich. People have not really changed, have they? We're still the same way. Verse 23, after he had sent the crowd away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there all alone. So those 5,000, apparently, they were gone. And I've been right here in this area where all this took place. And I could just picture 5,000 people on these hillsides and things. And so they were all gone. He sent them away. And now he's all alone. Now, this is Jesus who is God. He's all alone on earth. He has a desire to commune with the Father. But remember, he is God. He's both God and man. Let's remember this about Jesus before he came to the earth as God in the flesh. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Notice this. For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And you think about this. This Jesus is there now. He's all alone, standing on the earth that he created. Everything that he's looking at, he created it. Even the storm this brewing in the Sea of Galilee that we're going to look at could not even be happening if it had not been for him. And he holds everything together. But there he is in his humanity with a physical body. He was God in the flesh. And there he was desiring to be alone with the Father. He was looking for solitude. Now, you think, wow, that's interesting. But think about this. This same Jesus lives inside of you. And his desires should be your desires and my desires. And although everything is in his control, he longed to commune with the Father. And so we should be the same way. Now, if you're taking notes, this is number one. Listen to this. Number one, fears are sure to come in this life. Fears are sure to come in this life. Look at verse 24. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, 
battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. That contrary means it was against them. In other words, it was blowing into their faces, blowing against them. And in John's account of this, they were actually rowing. So if you can picture this boat on a stormy sea, and they were rowing. They were in a mess, is what they were in. They were about halfway across the lake, and so the most sensible thing they could have done was say, let's turn this thing around and let it blow us back to the shores. But they didn't do that. Why did they not do that? Because Jesus had told them to go to the other side. And so what did they do? They just kept going, kept rowing, not turning back. Come what may, with what little strength they had, they would do what he said for them to do. They couldn't give up just because the wind was against him. They simply obeyed and kept moving forward. Second thing is this. Our fears are always known by God. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows what's happening all around us. He knows about our fears because our fears are always known by God. Verse 25, And in the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea. Now, Mark's account of this, when you think of the harmony of the Gospels, takes us back to the mountain where Jesus was alone with the Father. Remember, He was up on the mountain. The multitude have gone away now. He's by Himself. He's communing with the Father. He wanted to be in solitude. The disciples have left him. They're out in the lake. They've moved away. And in the fourth watch of the night, which means between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus knew the disciples were toiling and rowing, and he knew they were out there in a storm. He knew about the difficulties that overwhelmed them, and what did he do? He responded immediately. What did he do? He came down the mountain. What did he do? I believe he just walked straight out there to where they were because he came walking on the water and they could see him a long ways out. Uh, John's account of this teaches us that it would have been about three to four miles. Jesus would have come off of that mountain where he was praying with God, walked on the water toward the disciples three to four miles. You say, well, how could he have done that? Because he's the one who created the Sea of Galilee. He could easily do that. Third thing is this. Our fears can be in our imagination only. Our fears can be in our imagination only. Look at verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. It wasn't a ghost. It was Jesus. And you know, sometimes if we're not careful, there will be more things we're fearful of that never even come to pass. It's just in the imagination only. And so when we're troubled and fearful, when we're storm-tossed and perplexed and in despair, we often misunderstand what God is doing in our life, and we push the panic button. And so our fears can be a misunderstanding of what God is doing. So you may be troubled right now. You may be fearful of something right now. It can be a misunderstanding of how you're seeing your circumstances. And so be careful with that one. Number four, our fears should cause us to listen to God. When we're fearful, 
When our life circumstances are, are kind of stormy and we don't understand what's going on, we got to be careful with our imagination not to let it get uh, ahead of us. What do we do? We need to listen to God. It causes us to listen to God. Verse 27, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Have you ever had a time in your life where you were troubled and you were fearful, but God didn't audibly speak to you, but impressed upon your spirit? He says, look, I'm not going to give you all the answers, but I can tell you this. You can trust me as you see the answers as they come. Has that happened to most of you? I know it has, whether you realize it or not, it has. So our fear should cause us to listen to God. We hear his comforting voice. And remember that the waves that cause us to fear are where? Under his feet. The one who created them, they're all under his feet. Fifth thing is this. Our fears are used by God to exercise our faith. When has your faith grown the most? Your faith has grown the most when you've exercised your faith in just simply trusting in God. Our fears are used by God to exercise our faith. Now, let's read verses 28 and 29 here. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Boy, you got to give him some credit here. I mean, good night. He's sticking himself out there. You know, Peter was this way, but he says, uh, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And what did Jesus say? He said, come, <laughs> just come. That word come was the basis of Peter's faith. He said, command me to come out on the water. And then Jesus said, come. And that was it. That was a command. And so what did Peter do? Uh, I've been two times now to the Holy Land, and I've been on the Sea of Galilee, and I've been in the boats that were built like the fishermen used back in those days. And you wouldn't have just stepped from like we do now. We can just step over. It wasn't like that because the walls, it comes up like this. So he would have had to climb up and put one leg over. And all the while, he's thinking, is this going to work or not? <laughs> And so he had to climb over, and then he probably put his second foot over. And I'm sure he's hanging on to the side of this boat and thinking, you know, I, I do seem to kind of be held up, but I'm not sure. He finally had to let go of the side of the boat. And when he did, he walked on water. That is humanly impossible. The Christian life cannot be lived by you. It's impossible. And you know what? If you try to live the Christian life, God won't fail, but you will fail, and it will not be God punishing you. He will not have a furrowed brow, and He won't be smirking and hoping that you will fail in the background and even engineering things to work against what you're doing. He won't work like that. You know what He does? He just sits there and allows you to get to the point where you have to trust Him completely because you can't live the Christian life. And so there Peter was, stepping out in faith and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, well, come. And so Peter, that was his moment. That was the basis of Peter's faith. And so Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on water, and he came toward Jesus. So Peter sensed that Jesus' commands were also his enablement. This is what he was thinking. Jesus, command me to come walk, because if you... 
command me to come walk, I believe that you will enable me to walk. If God says, Chris Hodges, Pastor Lakeland Church, you know what? There's only one thing I need to do is say, yes, Lord, and trust him for the enablement. Amen? God may call you to teach a Sunday school class. God may call you to something else in, in your life. Maybe God's going to call you away to another state or to another ministry or to another church, whatever it may be. And listen, if God calls you to it and he says, come, you know, I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust God that he's going to enable me. And so I believe Peter sensed this. He said, come, here I go. And he gives strength for whatever he orders. So the things that were beneath the feet of Jesus, the Lord was going to put under Peter's feet as well. So if you're choosing to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're choosing to trust God no matter what, you can know this, everything is under the feet of Jesus. Because remember, we saw in Colossians 1, He created everything. And everything will be under your feet if you're abiding in Him, unless you're in sin and out of the will of God. And so, Peter was going to walk on water because he had faith, and that is the link of his source of power. So all the circumstances that we wrestle with are already beneath the Lord's feet. What do we love to quote? Trust in the Lord with some of your heart, all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In some of your ways acknowledge Him. No, in all of your ways acknowledge Him. And He might direct your path. No, He will direct your path. You remember what Jesus said to the Father? In the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, Let this cup pass from me. And then He said, Not my will, but thine be done. When I was getting ready to head up here to Memphis many years ago to go to Mid-America Seminary, my mother gave me a little plaque to keep with me, and I still have it. And this is what it said on the plaque. God did not call you to be successful. God called you to be faithful. Being faithful is successful. Amen? Is that not right? Peter was being faithful and walking toward Jesus, and that made him successful walking on the water because it was impossible for him to do. And so, number six, our fears can weaken our faith, but not weaken God. That's where we have to be careful. Our fears, our emotional fears, remember, our fears always have to be subservient to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. Our emotions cannot control us, we have to let them be controlled by God and His Word. So our fears can weaken our faith, but not weaken God because He's immutable. He never moves. He stays the same. Let's remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what that means? God is eternally the same, and He's perfect. Look at verse 30. But seeing the wind, uh-oh, what's Peter doing now? He's looking at the wind. 
He's looking at his circumstances. He has stepped out of the boat one leg at a time, I believe. He's walked on water. Can you imagine how exhilarating that would be? We watch them walk on water sometime at Destin. But they've got this machine pack on their back so they can walk on water. Peter had Jesus. But seeing the wind, what happened when he looked at his circumstances, he became frightened. And what happened when he became frightened? He began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? I do not believe that he was saying this in a sarcastic, belittling way. I don't think he was rebuking them the way we might would. I believe it was almost an exhortation. He said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Just completely stopped. Now, most of us have a thermometer outdoors somewhere. It's got mercury inside the thermometer. And it shows us the temperature. In other words, whatever the temperature is, it affects the thermometer. The temperature controls the thermometer. So, all right, you go inside, and you got a thermostat on the wall of your house. And you got that thermostat set for the wintertime. you got the heat so the furnace will come on just right. In the summertime, you've got the uh, thermostat set so the cool will come on, the air conditioning will come on. And so the thermometer outside with the red mercury inside, it's affected by the temperature, and then you can read it. The thermostat inside controls the temperature inside the house because it's connected to the electricity. Now look, all of us as children of God, with God living inside of us, with His Word in front of us, we need to be careful not to be like the thermometer. We need to be more like the thermostat that's connected to the electricity that guides and controls the temperature. But we're totally dependent on God who's regulating it. And it is set by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. If we're not careful and we let our emotions control us, we're like the thermometer outside. Our circumstances and everything is making us go up and down. So we got to be careful. We need to walk according to the power of the Holy Spirit and not let our emotions control us. Now, number seven and the last, listen to this. When the emotion of fear is placed where it belongs under God... And His Word, we are amazed and we begin to worship. When the emotion of fear is placed where it belongs, under God and His Word, we are amazed and begin to worship. Look at verse 33. And those who were in the boat worshipped Him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. Now think about it. They had already witnessed him feed the 5,000. And they're sitting there thinking, could not. How did these loaves and this, how did it just multiply? It just kept multiplying. They had watched him walking on the water. They had watched one of them, Peter, walking on the water. They watched him sink. They watched him pull up. Now they're in the boat and everything's calm. Certainly. You are certainly God's son. 
So think about this. What if you could make everything perfect in your life? Everything perfect. The perfect wife, the perfect husband, the perfect car, the perfect house, the perfect community. If you could make everything perfect, you know what? We wouldn't be happy. We just wouldn't be happy. And I can tell you this. Our view of God would be less. Why? Because the way God's made us, He made us in a way that we have to depend on Him. We learn and grow the most when we're simply depending on God and depending on His Word. And so, a lot of times people get confused and think, you know, I'm going through a tough time here. That's God whipping the living daylights out of me. Or some preachers from old said He's saddle-busting you and things like that. Not necessarily. I think what it is is to increase our faith. And He's working things in a way. There's more people involved in your life than you can even really realize sometimes. And God is using all things for His purpose and for His glory. And sometimes that may be times that are trying, tumultuous, maybe seem stormy sometimes. But remember, don't be a thermometer, be a thermostat. All right? Now, the disciples were amazed. And what did they do? It caused them to worship God. Now, I want to tell you, we were singing a song just a moment ago, and it said, a generation will arise, and it says, revival is near. I believe with all my heart, revival is near, and I do believe it's going to be the younger generation. I believe they're headed to some times, and we're already in them, that things are going to be hard and very trying, and we need to know what we believe. We need to know who we believe in and know what we believe, because I think... We're headed for some troubled days. But I want to tell you, just as we know the great generation, the builder generation, built most of what we see in America, a good generation. But you know what made them that way? is because they went through the Great Depression. I could see we could have a great revival. But those who will be the ones who come out and God uses the most will be the ones who've gone through difficult times, but like Peter, chose to say, I'm going to trust God. I can't live the Christian life but he'll live the Christian life through me as I abide in him. And in that, each time God sustains, faith goes up. Each time God sustains, faith goes up. Or we can let the circumstances make us bitter, make us negative, and we can become the kind of people who tear down instead of build up because of living off of past hurts and things. Colossians 1.18 says, speaking of Jesus, He is also head of the body, the church. This same Jesus who walked on water, who sustained Peter, who fed the multitudes, who wanted to be in solitude with the Father, the one who left that mountain and walked straight out there toward the disciples, they thought He was a ghost. This same Jesus, the Bible says, is the head of the church. And the Apostle Paul said, we are individually members of the body of Christ, and we are the church. And so this same Jesus lives in us. Now, Peter was looking at Jesus, and Jesus sustained him. But Jesus lives in me and you, Christ in us for others. So whatever your fear may be, trust God that he's going to see you through it. And when you're fearful, be reminded, I can't let fear cause me to make wrong decisions. I've got to make my decisions based on the Word of God 
in the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't, and if you make decisions based on fear, it's going to probably mushroom. And a lot of things that you maybe just imagine might begin to happen because you're making them happen to fulfill what you're imagining. Be careful. Do not be deceived by your emotions. Amen. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.